you want to follow me? So we heard there from Carmel Duffy and now I've got Colin Miley with me and Colin is going to give us a walk through and tell us uh, what we're seeing and fill us in on some of the history as well. As yeah. we go through the door, oh, there's a cutout here of a knight yes. or someone, who is it? And he will be a William White soldier. Okay. Um, if you see him later in the tour, the okay. siege gallery, um, okay. in the flesh. Not in the real flesh. Yeah. No, unfortunately no. not. Unfortunately. Fortunately. So uh, what room you're in now is the early history room. Okay. The first one on our tour. It's dedicated to the prehistory of the area. Okay. So before any town or castle ever existed in the location. Yeah. So you can see the, the, the child here. He just pressed the back there. It's an interactive map. And you see the fabulous illustrations here. So, you can, what you're hearing now is the soundscapes of our prehistory. Okay. You can hear this water in the background. Okay, yeah. You can start hearing these uh, stone tools. So, um, as you can see on the map, our map is shaped like the Ireland itself. Ireland. You can see the east, the west, north, yep. south. Yep. And you can see a site popping up here. This is Loch Bora. Yes. So, uh, Loch Bora is a Mesolithic site. Yes. It's nearby, about 30 kk, 30 kilometers away. Yeah. And it's the first evidence that we have in the area for any kind of settlement, 9,000 years ago. There's a strong circle there. An uh, ancient campsite. It belongs yeah. to a Mesolithic area. I know there was a circle rebuilt uh, about two or three years ago in this down the bog. Uh, Loch Bora, yes. Yeah. And one of the stones that is used down there was actually brought from Ottawa. Oh yes, the fairy circle, yes, yes, I know what you're talking about now. Yes, yes uh, and one, America, of those stone, yeah. one of those stones was recovered from New York where the immigrants landed yeah. and has ended up back out in Akura. Yeah. So, we have connections with the, with the area. Yes, so in the Mesolithic people just uh, they moved, tend to move around a lot. Uh, they followed wild game, migrated with the, with the food source basically. Yep. Uh, seasonal food, so they would make seasonal camps and they would just used to be travel around to these camps. At that time, seasonal camps would have been made from um, leaves or well branches. They reckon, yeah, they had these uh, round huts basically yeah. and skins, uh, hides basically, animals' hides, simple yeah. um, dome-shaped huts. Okay. And we have evidence there for one of them down in Lockbur. Right. And that's there. 9,000 years or more. Now, I'm, I'm seeing some stones as well that have um, um, carvings on them, and these are all Celtic carvings. Yes, these are stone grave slabs, basically. So these were found up by the old Fannin graveyard. Yeah. And they date to the 9th century, and they give us basically evidence for the first type of kind of settlement in Athlone. Um, one of them here goes on tour in Europe. Okay. Such so uh, has a depiction of the two. You know, when you see the Gospels. Yes. Uh, Saint Luke, Saint Mark. Um, so this one here, does it's not always here. It just does does a tour sometimes. But um, you can see one down the very end there. That was uh, one for the president of Connacht. So well, one, one of the things I'm noticing here, <laughs> excuse me, on this one, is that there's a circle, um, and the GAA symbol would be somewhat reflective of the and also the emblem for the Garda Síochána. Yes, uh, same with the Irish Army as well, you kind yeah. of see this kind of... It's a question I wouldn't have a direct answer for now, but I imagine it's something to do with the, the Trinity, I suppose. Well, it's like, but just that it's carrying through the circle and then... Yes. Yeah. So uh, this is actually just part of the grey slab, so some of it is missing. So you can see where the rest of it will kind of fill in the gaps. Right. So the rest of it would have been. You have more coming out this way, and you would have more further coming out towards the bottom. Right. So, yeah, grey stabs. Um, you have a monastery nearby, Tom McNoise, yes. one of the most famous ones after Glendalough. 
uh, huge, huge monastery, uh, lots of cathedrals, grand terrors, lots of activity going on. So you had this kind of thing going on there, like stone, stone carving. They had scriptoriums. They had they're making fine jewellery and uh, metalwork. Considering uh, so how old this stuff is, yeah, the. The, the carvings are still remarkably clear. Yes, they are, yeah, and they're very illuminated here uh, nicely by our modern lighting. Um, still clear. Because in many more recent graveyards you would go in and they would have eroded to the point you can't read them. Yes, um, that's true. Um, some graveyards, yes, but you would use a tool, depending on the light of the day, shadows, and it may look like they've eroded away, but there is actually something remaining there. Yeah. Um, I was doing graveyard surveys a while ago, uh, part of my studies, and they showed us all these techniques to right. bring up the right, and it may appear that there's nothing on it, but there actually is a lot left behind. Um, so, what have we got here? These are the stone axe heads, basically. So these came out of the river here in the, uh, beside the castle, the River Shannon. So these are from the Neolithic. So we had the Mesolithic, and then you had the Neolithic. And the big change then is, see these change in lifestyle and practices. So to get the Neolithic package from mainland Europe, so they start settling down. They start making stone axes and clearing the land, yeah. clearing all the trees away, raising crops, domesticating animals like cattle and sheep. And so there, when you do, when you start doing this, you have they're making pottery as well for storing yeah. their food. So this means they don't have to move around anymore like they did in the Mesolithic. So they have their food there, they have their meat ready to slaughter, they have their crops to ready to uh, process. So and these, what era? So you're, you're talking the, me, the Neolithic. This is yes. uh, so about four thousand years ago. Okay, uh, so about two thousand BC. Uh, to 2000 BC, uh, no 4000 BC, excuse 4000 me, BC. sorry. Okay. Um, it's polished stone axes, they polish them to make them mechanically stronger. So, yep. um, they're clearing trees with it, they're doing some woodwork with them as well. They polish them using abrasion, basically using another rock and they're using yep. water as a lubricant. But they're, they're like the iPhone of the, the Neolithic, they're so important to the Neolithic man. They are buried with them, you find them as burial goals. Um, just a really important tool to have. You have then, when you move into the Bronze Age, then you have these more, this is a socketed bronze axe head here. Mm -hmm. Big big step forward in the Bronze mm -hmm. Age is metallurgy. Um, you start getting this ornate gold jewellery people mm -hmm. start wearing. That's kind of, kind of highlights that there was some sort of social class in the, the people of the Bronze Age. And this came out of the river here. It's a replica of a Bronze Age shield boss. Okay. This was found along with three Bronze Age swords in right. the River Shannon by a, it was like an amateur diver. Right. He kept this in his shed in his home for many years, many years and thought it was a hubcap off. Okay. Yeah, it looks a bit like a hubcap off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. what he thought. And then one of his well, more well-educated friends came along and said, um, it's not actually a hubcap, it's a Bronze Age shield boss. <laughs> So uh, that one's on a replica, but we have the real ones up in the stores, up right, in the museums, and right. um, there's a Clare Street, I believe, in Dublin. Right, yeah. So um, then we're looking at some armour over here, which would have been battle armour. Yeah, this would have been a typical Norman battle armour. So you have chainmail, uh, you have, the, of course, the helmet, and this is kind of signifying the move then into the first kind of stone castles that were built on the site. So right. The first one that was built was made out of wood. A simple kind of hill fort by the O'Connor family yeah. um, 1129. Okay. So, Connor family being powerful Gaelic dynasty in the west of Ireland. Mm -hmm. And they built, it was like a stone, or sorry, a hill fort. Okay. So, you had like, you know, ring forts, hill forts up on a hill, have all the enclosures, uh, keep all your um, animals, things safe like that. And then it was the Normans start building Martin Bailey castles. So okay. We'll move on to the next room then. So, this is a depiction. 
what the first stone castle here would look like okay. in that And large illustration. It's done by Victor Ampris. Okay. Uh, famous from uh, uh, Channel 4's Time Team in England. So, uh, have you come across Time Team? Uh, archaeological program. I think that this is where they scale back a place and they're kind of. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I know what they you're talking about. They would excavate yeah. and then they'd have a, they would get Victor to draw up an illustration of yeah. what they believe it used to look like. Yeah. So, he was commissioned to do all our illustrations here. And he's got a very distinctive style. You can see the bridge is on the opposite side than it is today. Yeah. It's the original Elizabethan bridge on that side. And the only surviving piece you can see from the tower is the central tower the here. But yet the whole ambience of it is very, it's very reflective of yeah. what is even here today. Oh yeah. That while it may be, yeah. Um, so you're moving into the stone castle, you're moving into the rival of the Anglo-Normans basically. And the Anglo-Normans we're now talking in the 1200s? Yeah, 1169 uh, they came, uh, Jerem Burr MacDurr went to seek help, they came right. back his kingdom of um, Leinster, okay. the Anglo-Normans said they would help, uh, they came and within space of a few years they had conquered two thirds of this island and uh, the way they did that was uh, through their skilled knights mounted on uh, horses, Okay. Uh, when they moved into a territory they would build this modern bailey style castle okay. it was prefabricated, it was very efficient the way it went up very very quickly and from there they would control their, new, their, their power over the new territory and eventually they went on to the building of stone castles uh, the first stone castle built here was on behalf of King John okay. um, he would have been Henry II's of England's son and so when you say prefabricated <coughs> are you saying that in effect, what they would do is build the castle on the ground, and then that it would. Oh, they came. They came with. They would bring the wood in the boats with them, and uh, chop them, and they would go very, very fast and efficiently. The Norman Mont Bailey style castles. So we're talking um, about the IKEA of the 12th century. Could be, yeah. You could as a way of putting it, yeah. Um, <laughs> with their flat bags and their Allen key. Yeah, but they were very. They were skilled in um, erecting these, and then from these, they would just dominate their territories. And right. Their lord would uh, rule over, and eventually we moved on to the stone castles. Yeah. And the room here is a depiction of the first stone castles. The first one that was built here actually collapsed. So this is what you're seeing above your head okay. here is a representation of that. So it's actually supposed to be collapsing stones, and then you have these three coffins here representing the men that died and collapsed. And when did it collapse? Uh, it's about twelve, after, just after twelve ten. So talking about twelve. Um, Sorry, the date is kind of way there. So back in the 1200s. Yeah, 1200s. Yeah, you're talking not uh, shortly after, is it in the first decade? Now, when you say it collapsed as well, to what extent do you know did it collapse? How much of it collapsed? They reckon it might have been a mural tower, or they reckon it might have been the actual central keep that collapsed. Right. Not the whole castle, but yeah, just yeah. The, the central tower. Okay. Um, collapsed, killed many men, and um, of course the original masonry that went in in 1210, the last six feet of the keep you see out there today, yeah. that is the original masonry from that first castle. Okay. Just rebuilt on top of the keep. Yeah. Okay. Rebuilt on top of it. Yeah. Um, some of the artifacts you can see on display here, these are from the town itself. You have the armorial plaques here. Yeah. These are kind of like the um, sigils, like a coat of arms. Okay. So I'm walking around off alone at the time. Yeah. I want to find a merchant, so okay. a merchant family. <coughs> Uh, or the uh, sorry, the Jones family. Yeah. I know if I can see this rampant lion anywhere in Athlone. I know Jones. I can find Jones in that house. No, I see. I see on here 1621. Yeah. And I see over here 1620. And these are original stones 
from those dates? Oh yeah, that's, of course, yeah, you can see the inscriptions on them here. Yeah. Um, they're lovely illuminated here, the shadows are nice effects. Yeah. Uh, this is John uh, Marchand, Raven Marchand. Um, so going back to when the castle was built, 1200s and thereabouts, and it was a question I put to Carmel and she said you would be, probably be able to tell me that the names that may have come through from the Norman settlement around Atlone, what names would still survive? Ooh, uh, names like a Dylan okay. and de Berg. Yeah. Uh, they would have been um, Anglo-Norman families that mixed with the original yeah. Gaelic families here. Same Gaelic size basically. Yeah. So then Dylan would be one of them and de Berg would be another. Yeah, right. Um, that's sort of firing off the top of my head now. The other ones that just come straight to mind now. I know there's another few other ones in the area, but uh, the Dillons held the castle here for a long, long time. Okay. That one. And of course, the name Dillon is very much alive yeah. and well. It is still going, yeah. And as um, is the Burg. The castle, it was the, president's, uh, the seat of the president of Connacht. He okay. had the control of this castle in later years. But it came switching over sides uh, back to the Gaelic clans and then since we're trying to get to the, the crossbows and the longbows and the mangonel, basically had to be defended. Right. The, the Norman, um, the Gaelic clans are trying to get it back. Normans want to keep it, keep control of their territories. So you basically have all these weapons of medieval warfare. And, and these see. weapons of medieval warfare, again, this was development as yeah. time was going on. So the crossbow would have been introduced or the longbow. Um, as they were modern weapons, when when would it would when would they have arrived on the scene approximately? Um, well, when the, when the starting of building stone castles, they kind of arrived. We have um, accounts of here some stocks of uh, two mangonels and some longbows and crossbows, and that was around the we're talking 13th century, so right. that's the 1200s, 1200s. Yeah. yeah, right. So you can count the go away that back, far back. There is an arrow wi window on one of the walls facing out onto a castle street. Yeah. Original arrow window from the 13th century. Yeah. Uh, most of the ones you see now are the musket loops. Yes. So these came in later 1700s for guns. Yeah. yeah. But uh, same principle, you're firing out guns. But you, you, there is a difference in design, obviously. Yeah. Then, to a oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The arrow loop is much, much longer and taller. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Right. Um, the longbow is made from yew, yew, uh, yew wood from the yew tree okay. uh, for its flexibility. It's nearly two, meet two meters in length. Um, you know, and pounds, pounds of drawing power. With all that. With, when that's pulled back, um, what was the range of a longbow? Have you any idea? Uh, about 350 meters, they say. Oh. Uh, range. Uh, you could fire off a good uh, longbow archer, fire off about five arrows, arrows a minute. Right. The, um, and then for it, what would have been the crossbow, the, the range wouldn't have been anything as long? Um, not not so, but the crossbow was more produced because if you wanted to be a longbow archer, you had yeah. to train since uh, you were a young boy basically from okay. boyhood. Right. And you would even train in peacetime. Uh, you'd keep your skills up to keep your form yes. basically. But the crossbow, you didn't have to do all this, so okay. anyone would just pick it up. Uh, load the bolt into it, but it would take over a minute to load it. And uh, it's rage and accuracy, Andrew Power, Sebastian the Longbow. So the Longbow, longbow um, Archer yeah. was the sharpshooter. Yeah, nice, yeah. Um, the thing, if you ever heard the expression to give the two fingers to somebody, yeah. comes from the Longbow Archers and medieval warfare. Uh, the enemies would taunt each other on the battlefield. Yeah. So when the enemy would capture a Longbow Archer, they would just cut his, cut his fingers off, spare his life. Yes. All he's done is trained his life to be a longbow archer. He and he's useless. He's the sword, he can't do this. Right. 
So uh, they were taunting each other on the field, so the enemy's like, I'm going to take your two fingers. Yeah. And then they would reply, I have my two fingers. And okay. so they come and take them, so they're giving each other the two fingers, okay. and that's where that comes from. Yeah, because that's, uh, yeah, they, in the North American context, they don't get the two fingers, is yeah. not, doesn't translate across the Atlantic. Mm. Interesting. So where are we going from here? And um, we'll move up to the pre-siege. Okay. okay. So Colin, we've arrived upstairs. Yes. Are we here? We are now in our pre-siege gallery. And this room is circular, first of all, is it, or semicircular? Uh, circular um, to, yes, almost circular, as you can say, because semicircular. Relative yeah. to the, the castle. Are we in what is a tower or some portion of it? Um, not necessarily now. It's a kind of reflection of the keep itself. Okay. Imagine. So you have, your, have this circular room, you go into another circular room, which is the top upper keep. Where okay. Where cinema room is. I think and it's just kind of a, a mural of it, basically. Yeah, so we're looking at a lot of war, uh, murals and it's yeah, telling murals. a history. Like 1690, the Battle of Athlone. Um, um, yeah, so I like to call these the um, stations of the siege. Okay. So uh, you've heard of Stations of the Crosses, some beautiful illustrations again by Victor Ambrose. Yeah. And you had the War of the Two Kings going on in um, Europe. So you had uh, King James ruling over England, Scotland and Ireland. Uh, you had the Protestant aristocracy and, and Parliament basically. They uh, were fearful because James was going to have a Catholic heir to the throne and they didn't want this. Mm -hmm. So basically they invited James' uh, son-in-law, King William from Holland and dethroned King James and put King William on the throne uh, so the Protestant line would stay mm -hmm. on the throne. King James uh, did not like this so he fled to France where King Louis mm -hmm. gave him arm armies, uh, soldiers, ammunition to basically take the throne back from King William and they came to head in the Battle of the Boyne, the two kings, 1690 and it was the first siege of Atlone occurred here during that year as well. So you had Richard Grace, you can see him on the wall here firing off his pistol mm -hmm. uh, quite dramatically. And the first siege of Atlone, he defended it. He said he'd defend the castle until he'd eat his old boots basically. And he successfully defended the castle from the first William White Salt in 1690. But um, yeah, so it all came to a head on the island of Ireland. Um, King James came here to get support from the Irish Catholics basically because um, we had years and years and years of Comrade rule and it wasn't too good for us so um, he thought he'd get a lot of support here from us Now the Cromwellian period did it have an impact here or was it it was Athlone uh, was Cromwell a part of Athlone's history? Uh, Cromwell it's, it could be now uh, Austin it's not um, I wouldn't have an answer completely, okay. but uh, in general, the Cromwellian rule in Ireland didn't hold out for many people. No, I know, okay. I know. But Specifically for Athlone, I couldn't answer that one right. at the moment. So uh, then, in 1691, the, the second siege, second Athlone, siege yeah. happened. Yeah, the Great Siege, yeah. yeah. And at that point, um, Athlone fell. Or they managed to get across the Shannon? Yes, uh, they, they marched from Mullingar, uh, Ginkle and his 20,000 men, uh, William White Forces. You can see some of the pictures here, the artillery they were dragging with them as well. Um, huge cannons. Um, nothing like this ever been seen in Ireland before. Right. Um, and all the, all the Jacobite forces had retreated to the west of Ireland, and the only way to get into the west was to come through Athlone and take Athlone. And Ginkle knew that as well. So he. Lay siege to the castle basically. They set up camp across the river, breached the eastern walls, uh, lined up all his art artillery and projected the castles of the largest bombardment in Irish history at the time. Right. Uh, 12,000 cannonballs 
uh, you had Jacobites up in the castle here. And when you mentioned cannonballs, there's a display of cannonballs yes, here of various sizes. Display, yes, various sizes, all the way from the smaller ones to the big uh, 12 pounders and yeah. further on. Uh, these are pulled from the river as well. Um, amateur divers and Navy divers also. And of course, uh, given where the castle is, when some of these things were fired originally, it was in the river, they would have ended up. Yeah, uh, it wasn't accuracy, yes. You can see the, the musket here as well. Yeah. And uh, typical weapon that you would have. And, and some, art, uh, some musket balls? Yes, musket balls. So in goes the uh, gunpowder. Yeah. In goes your, um, your musket balls uh, yeah. through the flint, uh, strike the flint. Uh, it was quite ineffective on its own. So they would get the soldiers to line up and fire in volleys, basically. Yeah. And um, typical, and this isn't actually a replica, it's a real one. And then you had the flintlock pistol over there as well. Okay. Kind of like the one that Richard Grace there. Yeah. Um, he's wielding. Uh, quite ineffective, uh, slow loading, um, but basically when you run out of the ammo, if the enemy's coming up towards you, you would just flip it around and club them with the other end of it. It was designed that way to be used as okay. a club, to club okay. the enemy as well. Right. And that's a typical uh, Jacobite uniform here. You can see all these where he would have kept his gunpowder. Okay. Um, that's that one there. And something like this, this is obviously a replica. Replica, yes. Um, replica to the point of using the same materials, but not so much the processes. I'd say it would have been modern processes yes. to uh, make it, but the materials would be the same. The right. The right. look of it, yeah. You can lift the cannonball here and lift the sword if you like. Yeah. Uh, you can get a good weight of what the cannonball was like. Would you like yeah. And so as part of the inter. Okay. Mm. Quite a heavy one, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Solid iron, nearly. Um, in the room, um, it's quite loud. Yeah. You're probably not going to hear me when you go in here, but okay. it plays on a loop. Okay. It's going to give you an idea, a dramatization of the siege. Okay. First hand account. This is our upper keep, our projector of cinema room, counting the siege. We have a narration, yeah. and you have first-hand accounts as well. Yeah. All the reenacted by actors, and okay. animation, and some real-life action shots as well. Right. Excellent. So basically, someone can come in here and they'll get a good depiction of the history. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And that's it. Visual and audio. Visual and audio. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. Well, we move on because we and uh, continue on. Now, I, I see there's a lot of individuals standing around here, uh, fully garbed. Yeah. So these are people of the siege. Yeah. They are life-size. Uh, sculptures, you could call them, artworks. Yeah. Yeah. They are made out of recyclable materials. Okay. Uh, by a workshop in the UK called Windsor Workshop. Right. And they do um, basically costumes and props for um, Hollywood movies like uh, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Willy Wonka, and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. The man you're asking about down at the door, here he is now in the flesh. Well, oh, yeah. Today in the flesh. Uh, Hugh Mackey. Yeah. But you have a mixture of Williamites and Jacobites, uh, like attackers and defenders. You have Ginkle, this is uh, uh, the Baron Van Ginkle basically, yeah. uh, hired by, uh, well recruited by King William to lead his forces, the Williamites. Fair uh, military commander, very uh, skilled, um, buried the dead of the enemies as well, so um, they say he was quite fair. But um, they're made to 
what information they have about these that's people. True. So uh, weapons they would have carried, uh, uniforms they would have wore, their height, maybe perhaps their ga- their girths yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, no, beautifully done. Like very nicely done. Oh the yeah, the yeah. They give you the real uh, presence. Uh, but given that as you say, if the recycled material, and and it's interesting the the, the way it's all put together, mm. and yet uh, given that it is as you say, it's still very much you look and you see a person rather than re- yeah you don't, and uh, you can see things like the materials and then pop out at you like uh, yeah. things you used to wash your pots and pans with or yeah. the dirt out on it that's right yeah um, you can see out the window here is a good uh, view of the keep uh, right itself and as I said the last um, about six foot of the keep is original masonry from 1210 from the first right. stone castle yeah the rest would have been rebuilt uh, around 1812 what you see there at the top right you see these projections here is when the enemies came over the wall you retreat to the keep and from these projections you would drop heavy items onto the enemy below if they're trying to get into you at the keep to basically take them out or the boiling oil uh, yes boiling oil so it's as you see it in the movies but yeah. oil was a proper commodity and so they wouldn't and water as well and yeah. they wouldn't just throw these out the window they need these things so right. any heavy objects basically they would throw <laughs> um. So, while that's ancient history, the castle here uh, at Lone has been strategic uh, in every respect in in Irish history, even up to modern times. Mm. And um, I would imagine um, during Black and Tan times and um, 1916, uh, it was all very relevant then also. Um, So this is the fabric of Athlone. Okay. Um, so when you say fabric, it's what is it? Thread, lots of thread okay, woven so together. But I see eight hundred AD. Yes, that's um, the um, the grave slabs we've seen yeah. in the first room. Uh, and then early Christian monastery. Eleven fifty, twelve ten, twelve forty one, up to thirteen hundreds. So this begins in eight hundred AD and it ends in nineteen ninety one. So it's a chronology. Yeah, chronology of key kind of uh, moments in Athlone's history. Mixture of pictures as well and images of famous uh, people who have passed through the the gates of the castle and the town itself with John McCormick singing yes. in the background at the can, yes you can hear lovely John McCormick down there yeah. towards the end of the room right um, so the castle was rebuilt basically after the siege okay so it was half of the town but it was more of a became more of an annex to the military barracks just across the way yeah, custom barracks so more of a defensive uh, fortification than more of a, what the castle that it used to be right and an extensive battery system was put up the road from the high ground to the west Okay. Batteries and it's called the batteries, of course. It is, of course, yeah. still called the batteries, where it gets its name from today. So you I'm just looking to see that um, Lockery Yacht Club was founded in uh, 1770. 1770, yes. Uh, one of the oldest in Ireland, I believe. Yeah. Well, I think, isn't it, um, Donald Cork um, is the oldest, second oldest in the world. Oh. Um, not Crosshaven, Mike Crosshaven, second oldest in the world, I think. Mm. But I didn't realise that Lockery was back in 1770. You can see uh, just below that as well the stagecoach. So yeah. It's an image of the stagecoach that would have connected people of Athlone to Dublin. Right. Before the railway system came in. And uh, because the stagecoach uh, was coming here, that a lot of inns kind of opened up in Athlone then. I've seen see, um, Dean Swift's name here, 1720. Had Dean Swift uh, uh, an involvement in Athlone? Uh, that's a question I won't be able to answer for you, okay. now, um, Austin. Uh, because I know out the road, Goldsmith was only out the road. Goldsmith, is it? 
Well, Goldsmith was only out the road in yeah. out in uh, the Jolly Pigeons, beyond Glasson. Um, so what you see in the room basically is all these artifacts related to industry, right. uh, religion, education, uh, social history, military history, different things related to the construction of the town basically, and yeah. uh, the fab basically have turned out the way it is today. You can see some of these books here. There's actually a saving method. So these are at uh, piggy banks, basically. I remember yeah. that. I used to have one of them. So you stick it, you stick your money in it, your notes. I, I used to get the coins on one section, the notes down the side. Yeah. yeah I used to have one of those from the National Bank. Um, you would bring it back to the bank then. You would well, they don't the open it. So yeah. It was a quite an effective way of uh, saving. Yeah. The, you can the think the industry here, the Athlone Woolen Mills, you can see yeah. a picture of it here. It's a huge, huge, huge um, employer in town. Indeed. And uh, such as the way the Iron Jumper comes from the Iron Islands, we have Athlone Tweed. Yeah. A famous pattern uh, from the Woolen Mills itself. Varied workforce as well. You can see a picture of all the faces and people here. Uh, some quite young. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. Of course, the, it burnt down by fire in 1940, the, the woolen mills. The, the Athlone coat of arms. Yes. Do you know, um, I can see there's the roses, mm. I presume, is the English influence. Um, and the, the, the lion. Um, um, what is it saying? It, it, it's, um, it has a technical description, yes. Yeah. Um, the lion passing garden door on cheap. So they're saying it originated in 1660. Yes. So again, going back, but uh, all these things that that's for the heraldic people to to interpret that. And a mace up there. Yeah, the mace. Yes, beautiful gold mace. Um, picture of it there. Um, same stuff, golden. And the corporation of Athlone 1826 with. Um, I don't know, what, what would that have been? Uh, the corporation was responsible for a lot of money that came into the town. Right. Um, so you had the expansion of all the uh, education, uh, buildings being built, money, economy uh, picks up. Uh, then she turns from the corporation to the urban district. Yeah. Um, and then you have even more construction as well. Right, right. But uh, the corporation was, uh, it was a few men used to uh, control things in the town. Right. Uh, so, um, then 1916, uh, 1922, I know there, were, uh, wasn't there, there was an assassination here in Athlone, as, as far as I recall. Up here, there was the All Royal Hotel. Um, That's news to me now, Austin. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I can't remember. Uh, was it in Adamson? I can't remember. Adamson was a door. Yes. I have smatterings of history that are interspersed and could yeah. be wrong. Um, uh, so this is John McCormick. That's uh, a lovely John McCormick exhibition, opened in 2014. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Famous tenor singer from Cornwall, yeah. from the Vaughan area. Yeah. Uh, spent most of his later life in Dublin, but um, yeah. went to Milan, trained to be famous uh, tenor singer. Hold 63 notes in one breath. Um, but yeah, famous in the 1920s and 30s, um, made a papal count by uh, the Pope himself yeah. at the time. Lots of the memorabilia is seen here under the cabinet in the display. Indeed. 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 Uh, Roland Trudy is one of his famous ones. Uh, That's right. That's right. Here you calling me. Yeah. Um, but often the stilly night. Yeah. Yeah. He played his uh, first concert in the Temperance Hall just across the way. Oh right, yeah. Which is uh, now houses the Loom Gallery. As um, yeah. 
So our timeline is coming to an end now, as you can see here at the end of the construction road bridge, right. 1991. So it began all the way in 1800 AD, or 800 AD, excuse me. Um, well, that's fascinating. It's fascinating because a lot of times, you know, when someone comes to visit in Ireland, they're, kinda, they're aware of Dublin yeah. and they're aware of places like Waterford. Yeah. And Drogheda, the East Coast seems to get quite a, a, a good exposure. And something as pivotal as the middle of the country is often forgotten. Yeah. And um, it's a central location, not long. Uh, so we can see now the big, kind of nice view of the river and the town itself. You right. can see a lot of the Shannon navigation works, which came in around the 1840s. Okay. So, basically, what they did was they built this new bridge, they put in this weir and a lock system and uh, Athlone became an inland port essentially so a lot more trade came in uh, right. so the economy picks up as well and of course the canal then from Dublin was coming in down the Shannon Bridge down the Shannon Harbour yeah they would have been around the same time I think yeah. as well so it would have allowed the trade to come from east and west and then continue on over the Grand so you can see the bridge here has the yeah. three arches and then it just kind of just has a square towards the yeah. end that's where it used to lift out of the way to allow boats uh, pass through right and then you can see St. Peter, St. Paul, large Catholic uh, church here. Yeah. Uh, huge structure. Uh, some people confuse it for a cathedral, it's that big. Yeah. But um, yeah, have you ever been inside? Oh, indeed I have. Um, <laughs> Harry Clark's lovely windows are in there, and um, yeah. the acoustics are amazing inside. Um, now, I see some kids going around with Viking helmets on them over there. Yeah. Do they come in with those, or do you kind of encourage them to pick them up? Here? Oh, well, they get the, I think they get them ones on Viking Mike's boat down here, which is the oh, right, okay. side down here. Right. Um, but yeah, we do encourage kids to come in because we do have a lot of costumes here, and yeah. um, it's nice to get a nice spot when they do come in with the uh, other costume items with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are a family, family yeah. tourist attraction basically. It's Indeed. For all ages. So what we should, we'll wrap up, but I see here there are some of the guns here still pointing out as well. Uh, the old cannons. Yes. And they're original. They're not original to the castle now, I believe. They think they came to somewhere in Cork. Okay. Like barracks in Cork perhaps, but right. they wouldn't have been original. They are cannons. Yep. In all types of purposes, but, but, um, but not ones that were actually They're relocated to here. Gar yeah, relocated to here, yeah. Right, yeah. You and over see, on the yeah. right where the flag is, that would have been an area where a cannon could have um, moved around on the track. Oh yeah, you can see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you're right there, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Um, you can see the mortars outside the keep here as well. Uh, spear firing range, the, the, the uh, cannons. Yes. Um, but these used to be down in the front of costume barracks. Okay. And um, when the Irish Free State were, when it was handed the barracks to hand over the Irish Free State, the British uh, left, took most of their ammunition and guns, but left these two because okay. it was far too heavy, as the, as the story goes. Right. But they were relocated up here um, to our castle. Right. We call them this been fascinating. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. It's been really good. Um, I know I didn't get um, Carmel to, to cover it off, but do you know the website off the top of your head? Uh, for our castle here, yeah. uh, www.athlonecastle.ie. Excellent. And you're out on Facebook and you're on Twitter? Yes, uh, we have a Facebook page, Athlone Arts and Tourism, and same for the Twitter for page, Twitter. Athlone Arts and Tourism. Brilliant, brilliant. You'll find uh, all events for the castle and galleries there. Excellent. And workshops and such. Colin, thank you for taking the time, it's been fascinating. It's not and, and, and it's really good, and I strongly recommend anyone if they're on their way from Dublin to Galway or vice versa, if they're not intending to stay in Athlone, it's worth stopping off in Athlone. 
and uh, certainly seeing ancient Irish history and uh, old Irish history and modern Irish history all in the one location. It's a lovely town, it's where north, south, east, west and east, uh, a great mix of people and history as well. Indeed.